Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 40 of Soul Survivors. I'm here with Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest from McKinney, Texas, and Pastor St. James may join us here in a little bit. Father Fred, what will we be studying today? We're going to be studying about Joseph. He finally breaks down and lets his brothers know who he is. This is in chapter 45. But we might go back for just a moment to chapter 44. In this chapter, Joseph is applying more pressure to make the guilt of those brothers realize how much that the father had to suffer because of losing Joseph, or he thought he'd lost Joseph. They're going to have to suffer because Joseph is going to put them through it. He sends them home. But something happens. He hides his goblet in the bag of Benjamin. Now, which one's Benjamin? Benjamin is the youngest one of all, the baby of the family, the one that Jacob loves so much. Joseph and Benjamin are from the same mother, Rachel, which was Jacob's favorite wife. Jacob thinks Joseph is dead, and therefore Benjamin's the only child left from his favorite wife. Yes, and not only the only one of the favorite wife, he says sometimes it's the only two children that he's got. Right, and Benjamin's about 23 here. So let's go back now. He sent them home, and he's put this goblet in the bag of Benjamin. And then he sends them off. But then he decides, or he knows what he's going to do. He sends his steward to accuse them of stealing his goblet of divination. And he set the whole thing up. As they're caught and they come back, Judah here makes the plea to set them free just for any kind of mercy that he can get. And he has the longest talk that we have in Genesis. And Judah here takes center stage. He pleads for mercy and he makes Benjamin, this one now, Joseph, when he finds out who it is that has that goblet, Joseph makes Benjamin his slave, and he says to the other ones, you all go back home now. He sent him home once already, but it was a trick, and he's got Benjamin there with him now. Judah tells them that unless Benjamin comes back with them, now Judah says, you've got to come back with me to, the, to my father, because my father can't stand this. And my father, he says, he could not bear the anguish that his father would suffer, and it might even kill his father. So that's the setup from 44. Now, we're going to go to 45. In chapter 45, in verse 1, we read, Joseph could no longer restrain himself. He's had it now. They have suffered, and Joseph is also suffering because he's seeing them suffer. And also at this point, Judah has offered himself to be a slave in Benjamin's place, and he realizes the anguish his father will go through if he doesn't have Benjamin, and the anguish his father has gone through because he didn't have Joseph. So I think Joseph has seen true remorse in Judah, and Judah is the fourthborn of Leah. So Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah are from Leah, and they are the four oldest children. Benjamin's the youngest, and Joseph is the second youngest. Okay. Verse 1 again says, Joseph could no longer restrain himself in the presence of all his attendants. So he cried out, Have everyone withdraw from me. 
so no one attended him when he made himself known to his brothers. But his sobs were so loud that the Egyptians heard him, and so the news reached Pharaoh's house. When we go from there to verse 2, we actually need to skip to verse 4, because this is the J source, and right in the middle is going to be the E source, and you're going to be able to see the difference between the two in a moment. Number 2 says, But his sobs were so loud that the Egyptians heard him, and so the news reached Pharaoh's house. And then verse 4 says, Come closer to me, Joseph told his brothers. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. He tells them, I am your brother Joseph. Now let's go back for just a moment to verse 3, and it starts out, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Now, he's telling him the same thing in 3 that he told him in 4. Verse 3 comes from the E source, and 1, 2, and 4 come from the J source. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could give him no answer. So dumbfounded were they at him. Now this is strange. He says, Is my father still alive? This is in chapter 45. This writer, this E, is a different writer, so he's going to be repeating some of the same things that we hear from the J source. We've already got twice, I am Joseph. Now, in this one it says, Is my father still alive? That's in chapter 45. Let's go to chapter 44 and to verse 19. And we read, My Lord asked his servants, Have you a father or another brother? And verse 20 says, So we said to my Lord, We have an aged father and a younger brother. So in chapter 44, he already knows that his father is still alive. But the difference is, this is the e-source. The e-source is bringing it up for the first time in 45, but we already had it in verse 44, but that was in the J-source. So you see how the E brings in the same thing sometimes as J, but it's going over twice. So in 44, the brothers are talking to Jacob, Joseph's father, and Jacob says, why did you tell them that you had a younger brother? And they're explaining that he asked us about our father, and we told him that you were still alive, and we didn't know he was going to want to see Benjamin. So back when the brothers were visiting last in Egypt, they told Joseph that his father was still alive. And here's a clue that tells you that it's the J source in number four. He says, come closer to me, Joseph told his brothers. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, when we have the story of Joseph being sold into Egypt, it's the J source. So this is referring back to it. Verse 5 says, But now do not be distressed. He's watched and suffer enough. But now do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for having sold me here. It was really for the sake of saving lives that God sent me here ahead of you. So he's telling them that what was intended for bad, that God is going to make something good come out of it. Now, we might, for just a moment, put down this verse, chapter 50 of Genesis, and we'll start with verse 19. This is right before Jacob is going to leave this world. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And here's what 20 says. 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And you know who those lives are they're saving, don't you, George? The brothers. They're saving the brothers, and they're saving their daddy. What they planned to be bad turned out to be good, because this is the only way that they're going to get to eat, is because they're coming to Egypt to get food. Verse 6 says, The famine has been in the land for two years now, and for five more, five more years, cultivation will yield no harvest. Verse 7, God therefore sent me on ahead of you to ensure for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. They're talking about a remnant to ensure for you a remnant on earth. I bet that remnant George are talking about is this family, because if they didn't have anything to get eat, the family would disappear. They were just a remnant. Verse 8 says, So it's not really you, but God. It was God that had me come here. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. He has blessed me so much. I, I, I'm just the number two man now in all of Egypt. He has made me just like a father to Pharaoh. Lord of all his household, everything, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. So, boy, Joseph had suffered, but he had never lost his faith, and now he's going to be the ruler over all of Egypt. I think that says something for us, George, don't you? Yes, but what do you think it says to us? Well, I think it says whenever we go through hardships, it's easy to think sometimes, boy, things are so bad for me. Is there really a God that loves me? Is there really a God that wants what's best for me? And this story tells us that Joseph went through all of this suffering. But we had several times where we read in the J source, the Lord was with Joseph. What they intended for bad, those brothers, those goofy brothers, now God has bringing to something that's good. When we get to the end of the chapter, I'd like to talk about suffering for a moment. Okay. Verse 9 again says, Hurry back then to my father. Now this is Joseph saying, Get back there. Get to back to my father and tell him, Thus says your son Joseph, because now he thinks Joseph's dead. Tell him, God has made me Lord of all Egypt to come down here to me without delay. So he's going to take care of the family now in a way that they would never have been taken care of if he had not been gone through all of this suffering that he has. Verse 10 says, You can settle in the region of Goshen. Now Goshen is right on the, the Nile Delta, and it's in ancient Egypt. Verse 10 again, You can settle in the region of Goshen, for you will be near me. You and your children and children's children, your flocks and herds, and everything that you own, bring everything, come down here with us. And Joseph tells them, verse 11, I will provide for you there in the years of famine, the famine that lies ahead, so that you and your household and all that are yours will not suffer want. Verse 12 says, Surely you can see for yourselves that Benjamin can see for himself that it is I who am speaking to you. Verse 13 says, Tell my father all about my high position in Egypt and all that you have seen. But hurry and bring my father down here. Joseph is anxious to see 
How long's it been, I wonder, since he's seen his father? He's been in Egypt a while. He's been in prison. He's been there quite a few years, hasn't he? Yeah, it's been at least 20 years. At least 20 years that since he's seen his daddy. He misses him. I wonder why he didn't go back before. I don't have any idea why he didn't. He surely had the means to go, but for some reason he didn't didn't go back. Verse 14 says, Now look at who this is. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept on his shoulders. And we all know why it's Benjamin that he's wept around and that he's thrown his arms around his shoulders, don't we, George? Yes, Benjamin's his full brother. His full brother. Verse 15 says, Joseph then kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And only then were his brothers able to talk with him. You remember way back there, they were dumbfounded, didn't know what to say. Judah has delivered a long plead for mercy, and he has gotten it. Verse 16 says, The news reached Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. Pharaoh and his officials were pleased. Sounds like that's the first time that he knows about it, doesn't it? But look ahead to chapter 46. Verse 31 says this, Joseph then said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, My brothers and my father's household, whose home is this land of Canaan, have come to me. Here in 45, saying that he hears it for the first time, now in 31, we hear the same thing again. The reason we hear it two different times, in 45, it is the J source. And in 46, it's going to be the E source. So when we find these doublets, you can be pretty sure that it's going to be the same thing said twice by two different people. Verse 17 says, So Pharaoh told Joseph, Say to your brothers, This is what you shall do. Load up your animals and go without delay to the land of Canaan. He's going to send them back now to get daddy. Verse 18 says, there, get your father and your households, and then come to me. I will assign you the best land in Egypt, the best land, where you will live off the fat of the land. You're going you're gonna to be really have some good land, the fat of the land. That's the best land that's out there. Verse 19 says, instruct them further. Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your children and your wives and bring your father back here. Verse 20 says, Do not be concerned about your belongings, for the best in the whole land of Egypt shall be yours. And verse 21, The sons of Israel acted accordingly. Joseph gave them the wagons as Pharaoh had ordered, and he supplied them with the provisions for the journey. Verse 22 has a strange outcome. Verse 22 says, He also gave to each of them a set of clothes but to Benjamin, he gave him 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. You know what? Those brothers didn't like Joseph to start with. This is not going to endear them to him. They must feel like orphans or something, that sometimes they don't even sound like they're counted. They got rid of Joseph once before because of this, and now Joseph is kind of doing the same thing again. Well, maybe they understand that Joseph could have them imprisoned or executed, and so maybe they're just going to keep their mouth closed this time and not do anything to them. They're thanking God for what they got. Yeah, that they are alive. Verse 23 says, Moreover, 
What he sent to his father was ten donkeys loaded with the finest products of Egypt and another ten loaded with grain and bread and provisions for his father's journey. They didn't get this much before, I don't believe, but they've got plenty here. This is 24. As he sent his brothers on their way, he told them, Do not quarrel on the way. Do you remember there was a time back when uh, Jacob said to Joseph, Go check on your brothers and see, you've given me some bad reports about them. I wonder if the bad reports might have been that they don't really get along that well together. I was kind of thinking about that, and this is kind of what I'm thinking. The brothers that are not from Rachel or Leah are kind of scoundrels. They're kind of 'er ne'er-do-wells, and they're kind of lazy. They're not doing a good job. Joseph's father realizes this and has Joseph check up on them. And Joseph is coming back and saying, yeah, these brothers are not doing so well. And Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah are kind of scared of these brothers from the concubines. And so they don't really speak up because they know they're kind of troublemakers. Yeah, Reuben doesn't speak up. As you said once before, he's the oldest. He's the leader. He should have spoken up more whenever they were talking about putting Joseph in that cistern. Yeah, but they're outnumbered, so maybe he didn't want to steer up the hornet's nest. Yeah, it sounds like they didn't get along from the beginning. That's four different families there. It's not always easy for something like that. Verse 25 says, So they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. Don't you know he's going to be surprised and he's going to be happy? Verse 26 tells us, When they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, it is he who's governed all the land of Egypt. He was unmoved. That's strange. He was unmoved, for he did not believe them. Well, who could believe him? He thinks Joseph is dead. How can he possibly be the ruler of all of Egypt? Because all he knows about is that he's dead. Verse 27 says, But when they recounted to him all that Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of their father Jacob came to life. Don't you know that would be the best news? Twenty years. Twenty years he thought his child's dead, and now he appears. And then he boy, it right quick. He says, enough, said Israel. My son Joseph is still alive. I must go and see him before I die. It's like a bucket list. Before he dies, this is what he wants to see. He wants to go see his son Joseph. And that's the end of chapter 45. Father Fred, I keep forgetting about another two sons that Leah had, Issachar and Zebulun. Briefly, to go over Jacob's children, from the first wife Leah, he had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Then Rachel gave Jacob her handmaiden, Billah, and so Billah had Dan and Naphtali. And then Leah gave her handmaiden to Jacob, and the handmaiden's name was Zilpah, and then they had Gad and Asher, and then Leah had two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun, and then Dina was the only daughter that was mentioned by name. All the other daughters were not mentioned, and then Joseph, and then Benjamin, and then we know that Joseph had Ephraim and Manasseh, and so later on, Jacob is going to adopt Ephraim and Manasseh as his two children. And then Levi is going to be the priestly tribe, and so they don't get any land. And so the 12 tribes of Judah come from this line of children. And then the Messiah is going to come from Judah. So I have a question I want to ask you. 
Joseph suffered, and he said that this was God's plan all along, that God had him go to Egypt in order for lives to be saved, specifically in order for the Abraham's lineage to be saved, because the covenant of God with Abraham was that Abraham's lineage would be too numerous to count, and salvation would come through Abraham to all the nations. What is your view on suffering, or what is the Catholic view on suffering? The Catholic view can vary some, I think. For instance, when we read in Colossians, we read that my suffering will fill in where Christ has failed or has not filled up. It's hard for me to imagine where Christ's suffering would not be filled up. But that's what it says in uh, Colossians. The Catholic view is this. If there's suffering going on and we're in the kingdom of God, there must be some reason that we're suffering. Is suffering good for nothing? There's a view in the Catholic Church that our suffering can help for others sometimes that might be, for some reason, needed to help them to see what's better and see that we suffer and we still love God. We don't lose our faith. But suffering for me is something that's going to happen if we live in this world because we'll have good times and we'll have bad times. My view of suffering is that We have it sometimes, but the thing to remember is this. As much as we suffer, Jesus suffered more for us. The suffering that we go through will pass, but there will be joy in the morning. A lot of Protestants also believe that suffering is designed by God to bring about a better good for us, but that's not necessarily my viewpoint. I think the whole purpose of the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when Eve ate from the tree of, of knowledge was to show that we have free choice, that we have free will. And when we make poor choices or when others make poor choices, we suffer the consequences of those poor choices. Now, I know that you had a wife that died of cancer. I had a daughter that was not quite one year old that died in an accident. They didn't make any choices. Your wife didn't drink or smoke. My daughter was under one year under one year old when she was in an accident. They didn't make any choices. So it's hard for me to justify the saying that God designs suffering for our greater good because I can't see a greater good about my daughter dying. You probably can't see a greater good about your wife dying. But I think we can both say that God did help good come about even in those tragic circumstances. Would you agree with that? Yes, that's exactly what I believe. For instance, I went to a, a funeral this last week to a, a brother deacon that I was in the deacon, deaconate class with him for six years, Ron Fedgeron from Van Alstine, Texas. And he was out walking in the morning and somebody hit him and killed him. So I went to his funeral. Now, that's not something that I think that God planned so that we can do something, something bad will happen so that we can do good. But I believe this. I believe as much as I would rather have my wife here with me, I believe that if she had not died, that I would not have been a priest and I would not have to minister to as many people as I do. But I don't think God took my wife so that I could learn something. I think that's just what happens in our, our society and in our world. We live in a world that's governed by laws of of the universe, governed by physics, and when certain things happen, it's just the way things come about. 
Accidents happen randomly, I believe. But Romans 8.28, and we've quoted this verse before, Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That verse does not say everything that happens to us is good. It's saying that God can work all things together for good. You remember the story of Job in the Bible? Oh, boy, yeah. Poor Job. He he remembers it, too. What happened to Job? Well, he was one of God's favorite people. He tried to do everything according to God's will. And in this story, he made Satan think, well, I'll bet I can change that guy. I'll bet he's worshiping you, God, only because he gets good stuff, because he had a very pleasant life. And according to this story, God gives the devil the authority to go tempt him and go not just tempt him, but to have things bad happen to him. And his temptations were, well, he lost his family, lost all of his cattle, lost everything. And he had other guys that come by, supposed to be his friends, and they would say, well, this is happening to you because you're, you've done something wrong. Don't ever let anybody tell you if you're sick that it's because you've done something wrong. Unless you've stood out in the rain all night when you shouldn't and then you get pneumonia. But God is not going to send something on you. So just to test you. But this is a story. And in this story, Job hangs on and hangs on. And finally, I guess this would be some consolation. I would still miss my other family. But he brought his family back brought all of his cattle back, brought all the things he had more after he suffered. The story is told for us to remember this, I think, that you're going to have some bad times in your life, and I'm going to have some bad times in my life. As I look back at some of those things that I thought were so big and so so terrible, I look back now and I think they were so minute, so little of nothing that I got upset about. But in the end, I think, just like for Job, that... I'm better off now than I was before. Well, you know what's interesting in the story of Job? There's two things. One is that some sources say Job's second wife was Dinah. Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, who was molested by Shechem. Now, that is just from some Jewish commentaries. They don't know that for sure. But Job becomes twice as rich. But do you remember how many children he had? No, I don't remember that. Well, I don't remember the exact number, but he let's say he had eight children that died. And then he had eight more children from his new wife. Now, he got double the cattle, and he got double the gold, and he got double the land. Why didn't he get double the children? That I would not know. Well, some sources say that he didn't get double the children because he was going to be reunited with the eight children who passed away in heaven. Mm, That would be good. That would be real good. Especially good for Dinah. Why would that be especially good for Dinah? Because now she's got a husband to help her take care of things. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Now, I think that's another thing that the Joseph story points us to, is all these bad things happen, but no matter how bad things are, we have heaven to look forward to, and you're going to be reunited with your wife, I'm going to be reunited with my daughter, and we're all going to get to sit down and talk and swap stories. Your wife is going to meet my daughter, and I'm going to get to tell her about all the things we talked about and all the things we did. I think it's going to be a beautiful reunion. I do, too. I think that... uh going to be beautiful. And you know, in the Catholic Church, we have what we call the communion of saints. It means when you believe in Jesus, and I believe in Jesus, that we become brothers and sisters in Jesus. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, 
after chapter 11 lists all these people that were they were made holy because of this or they were right with God because of all the things they did. Then chapter 12 starts out, Therefore, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And I wonder, you know, what all that means. What They're not just around us just to be around us. I wonder if there's some way they guide us. Because as we believe in the church, that once we believe our spirit becomes brothers and sisters with one another, this body dies, but those spirits continue on. And those spirits that connected here, is it possible that they still connect with us when they're in the next life? I sure hope so. I need all the guidance I can get. Yeah, yeah, so do I. All right, Father Fred, thank you again for your time. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.